Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. What are we waiting for? Action! Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's talk about something important. Now we're talking business. Let's talk business. Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have got Oscar. Who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f*** are the Knutsons? These are big movies think about big men in tights. Roll that mother camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah! We like movies. This is business and this man is taking it very, very personal. Hello everyone, this is Oscar Dahlm here with Matthew Knudsen and this is We Like Movies Beach Bum Edition. A movie that we're very excited to talk about that no one's going to talk about uh, very much over the next 5, 10, 20, 100 years. But we feel we need to put our stamp down and... Drawing a line in the sand, as it were. <laughs> sure, sure. The Beach Bum is very much a we like movies kind of movie. I want to take ownership of this type of film. We talked probably more than any other podcast. I'm pretty confident saying we talked more about Spring Breakers than any other movie podcast. We're coming up on the end of a decade. Mm-hmm. And so I've started to sort of casually put together yeah. my... We don't need to um, necessarily He's- decide this right now, but I'm trying to figure out whether at the end of this year we should do a best films of the millennium Mm -hmm. list or if we should just do best films of the last decade i'm sort of airing up towards the latter that we don't have to deal with there will be blood and no country for old man and all that bullshit i'm sort of thinking we should do best films from 2010 Mm -hmm. to 2019 regardless I'll just go ahead and spoil it right now that Spring Breakers definitely going to factor I into my top see, 10 I of the I seem decades. to remember me being a little higher on Spring Breakers initially than you. Really? Did it warm you over more as time went on, or am I misremembering this? Uh, you might be. I mean, it was on my top 10 of we 2013. We were both huge fans of Huge fans. Yeah. I was there opening weekend. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Saw it multiple times in the theater. It was, yeah, it was like number seven, mm-hmm. number six or seven on my top 10 list that year. Okay. So I'm a huge fan. And as a result, I was very much looking forward to Beach Bum because this is the first film he's made in six years, right? Yeah. It's almost seven years. We'll get into Beach Bum later, actually. So we're going to start with a couple of more, well, I guess less current stuff, but... Play a little uh, catch-up. We, we, yeah, we haven't talked about us, and Matt had a few thoughts on the uh, beginning of baseball season. Is that correct? Back in... I've been living in Seattle for the last couple months, which is the, uh, you know, my hometown, town of my birth. Mm-hmm. And so I will, regardless of the fact that I've lived in L.A. and New York and have enjoyed Yankee games and Dodger games, respectively. Uh, I'm always going to be a Seattle Mariners fan. A suffering Seattle Mariners If fan. I didn't, it would absolutely break my dad's heart into a million pieces, <laughs> and I wouldn't want to do that. So, yeah, the Mariners are my team. I'm not the world's biggest baseball fan, but I do enjoy the sport above basketball and or football. And every year around this time, there's a handful of films that I try to revisit. It's almost always at least, it's at least Field of Dreams, Moneyball and Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. This year I went a little bit bigger and I did The Natural, 
Bull Durham for Love of the Game, Field of Dreams, and Moneyball in that order. Okay. We haven't set this up. I didn't uh, sort of task you with revisiting these films as well, so we can just sort of do this off the cuff. Yeah. I'm interested in your feelings about these five films, whether you think any of them actually deserve to be included in a conversation about the best <laughs> baseball. I mean, these are these are layups, right? Yeah, like, yeah. This is pretty obvious stuff, but I'm wondering what your relationship is with these films, if there's other ones I wasn't thinking of that deserve to be part of the conversation, whether it's The Sandlot, Bad News Bears, or Major League, perhaps, yeah. which are films I haven't revisited For in Love a while. of the Game? That, that was oh, one of the five. Oh, it was one of the five. Okay. Yeah, that? yeah, for love of the My game. Apologies. And I'm glad you brought that up because I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> but anyway, you're you're a much bigger sports fan yeah. and expert than I am. So how do you feel? You know, like channel your inner Bill Simmons and tell me how you <sighs> feel about baseball movies and what these what these films mean to the beginning of the season. Yeah, I've never had a tradition of watching baseball movies as, as baseball is getting ready to go. Um, I'm sure I've done it a, a few times. Gun to my head, like, okay, just sit down and watch a baseball movie. It's probably Field of Dreams or Major League, okay. I guess. Uh, lately, I have revisited Moneyball a number of times since it's been out and that is a movie that i am very appreciative of it, it ages really, really well man. and that's like i've always been a big baseball analytics guy i was big into Moneyball at the time i loved the book when it came out by michael lewis yeah and i thought they were going to way over hollywoodize it and dumb it down and it, it worked really well given the source material and the script is fantastic and brad pitt's fantastic and it is a way better version of that book than i thought was even possible in the canon of baseball movies i don't know i, I guess i'm a field of dreams guy sure i guess it's my main one i've never been a big bull durham fan for whatever reason okay seems more of a romantic comedy and seems a little over the top silly to me at, at times it's it's a fun it's a weird movie because it basically devolves well devolves or evolves depending on how, <laughs> yeah. how you want to look at it into kind of like a late night Skinamax sex romp. I remember being a kid and my, hearing my parents talk about Bull Durham and yeah. relatives talk about Bull Durham and like when it would come on TV and they'd be like, we got to watch yeah. Bull Durham tonight. But they would always end the party yeah. 10 minutes before the end of the movie. They'd always sure. be like, okay, that's it. Time to go to bed. <laughs> that, that's it, everybody. You know, and obviously they weren't going to show yeah. everything on uh, network television, but even so, it, it made my parents very squeamish. Sure. But up to that point, it's a really funny, really sophisticated, yeah. really kind of old school baseball movie with a lot uh-huh. of great philosophy about the sport. And then all of a sudden, it just gets really sexy. Yeah. And it's a very sexy sequence, but mm-hmm. it's almost like the movie kind of like loses its way for 15 minutes, right? Yeah, so <laughs> not a huge Bull Durham guy. I... I do like the natural fine. It is sort of that old school baseball is magic, masturbatory thing going for it. Sure. A little bit. And apparently very different from the book that it's based yeah, on because yeah. he strikes out at the end, right? Yeah, I mean it's a real Casey at the bat situation. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think I think they like throw the game or so I think it's like an eight man out situation. Or he gets accused of throwing the Something game. Like it's that. like some sort of shoeless yeah. show, eight men out. Either way, the last line of the book I've heard is like say it ain't so Roy or something like that, right? <laughs> So it ends in a really, uh, in a very sad way, whereas the movie has one of the most exciting, Mm -hmm. uplifting, schmaltzy endings of all time. Any movie, let alone a sports movie. But it, you know, it still warms my heart every time. It works fine. Um, I'll tell you what, I I think the most underrated baseball movie, and this might be just a a doll family thing because we loved it growing up. And uh, my dad was from Minnesota, big Minnesota Twins fan growing up. He grew to be a Mariners fan. Are you going to say Little Little Big League? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to say Little Big League. That's the only Twins movie, right? Yeah. as far as I know, yeah. yeah, definitely. The great Jason Robards, the great Timothy Busfield. Okay. It's a it's a fun little movie. Mm, oh, uh, in Rookie of the Year, it's um, 
It's Busey. It's Gary yeah, Busey. Gary That's Busey. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Timothy Busfield is, yes. So Timothy Busfield is in two of the best baseball movies of all time, right? It was. It went Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, Angels in America, right? Angels in the Outfield. I'm Angels sorry. in America is very sorry. different. Pardon me. <laughs> Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. And that was McConaughey. Yeah. And, uh, Danny Glover. Danny Glover and Tony, and, uh, Tony Danza. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Of course, but yeah. uh, Dermot or Dermot? Somebody, uh-huh. yeah, anyway. One of the great, DMs. Yeah, great cast. But McConaughey... Most explicitly, mm-hmm. and then Sandlot was right around the mm-hmm. same time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think what we've seen it's hard to do a great baseball movie. I think Field of Dreams is probably the go-to, the best. You said you had some thoughts on For Love of the Game. Yeah, it's a bad movie. It's a very Ooh. bad movie. I, I rewatched Ooh, it. Because... I hope our friend Scott Henderson's not listening to this right now. It's bad. Uh, when was the last time you've seen it? Probably eighteen years ago. Okay, I don't know. Well, I re- I rewatched it because. The season was coming up, but also because it's about to turn 20. And okay. We've been talking so much about 1999 movies recently. And I was watching it. I was like, is this something we should revisit? And I watched it. I was like, nope. No reason to, re- <laughs> no reason to revisit that. The baseball stuff is great. The perfect game is great. John yeah. C. Riley is the catcher. All that stuff is fun. Everything else is atrocious. Like, it's a bad <laughs> Sam Raimi movie. And it's too bad because it's a great conceit. I love the setup. I love the yeah. idea of Sam Raimi making a sports movie. It's a movie that has not aged well at all. So who, who plays the daughter again? Uh, Jenna Malone. Oh, Jenna Malone, right. And, and she, pl- she has Preston. to play like 12 years old, like 25 Pretty years old. Pretty much, yeah. Movie, it takes place. Ridiculous. Yeah, the memories are over the course of about a decade. Mm-hmm. Do you think Do you think this movie, if it was just the perfect game, would it work? I like the setup. I like the idea. It's, it's a very walk-hard situation, yeah. right? Like it's the idea of a guy going through his whole life yeah. while he's pitching, you know, like, well, the most important moment of his <laughs> life forces him to go back through all the other moments. It's a really nice setup. Sam Raimi just completely blows it. You know, huh. and Kevin Costner's not very good. And well, look at it, look at it again, and tell me if I'm wrong. It's I'm it's not gonna a look at it again now. Well, you sh- you should because okay. it's it seems like the kind of film you would have some thoughts about. I was really looking forward to liking it and then incorporating it into my yearly <laughs> baseball rotation, but I can say with pretty good confidence that I may yeah. never watch for love of the game ever again. So what in your mind is the most overrated baseball movie? That's a tough question because I usually, this is the kind of things I usually avoid, right? Yeah. Like I love Field of Dreams. Yeah. I love The Natural even though it's total schmaltz. I actually really love Bull Durham even though I think it's totally a wacky film. Yeah. I'm not crazy about Major League. Okay. And that's part of the reason it's not part of my rotation. Yeah, but maybe that means that I need to revisit canon. it. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I haven't watched Major League for a while either, but I, I mean, watched it a million times growing up once I was of age yeah. to give it a go. Plus, it's like just a little bit, like it's R-rated, so it's yeah. probably just like a little bit naughty as a kid. It's, it's a little bit. A little profane. Well, I mean, I think I've sold this before, but you'd go to the video store, right? And there'd be this, like I was into baseball, so this like Major League. Yeah. It's got the baseball on the cover. Like, I want to see, see it. Did you, see the, did you see the second and the minor league ones? The of sequels? course I did saw you, the course. sequels, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Omar Epps. Yes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is only in the first one, right? Yeah, and then it's and it's Epps in the second one. But Charlie Sheen second, comes yeah. back. He's in the second one, but not the third one. And oh. Barringer's like the first and the third or something, right? Yeah, I think. Does Car- Charlie Sheen not come back for the second one? I think Charlie Sheen's in the second one. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Major I don't think two. he's in the third one. The third one's like back to the minors or something. Yeah, third one's just Scott Bakula <laughs> coaching a team in the minors. Is that right? Well, I was going to bring Scott Bakula <laughs> up, and then all of a sudden my brain was like, no, idiot, you're thinking of necessary roughness. Scott Bakula's no. not, but he may very well be in there. Keep talking. I need to figure this out really quick. <laughs> no, I think The Natural is a really interesting rewatch mm-hmm. because it's actually a pretty crazy movie. And, you know, yeah. him getting shot in the stomach. Barbara Hershey and then Kim Basinger is like kind of mm-hmm. like this Black Widow as well and then Glenn Close is his high school sweetheart and Randy Newman scored it's just just a wacky movie Wilford Brimley and and uh, Richard Farnsworth are in there as the coaches I don't know it's it's very silly but it's actually a whole lot of fun I watched it with my parents the other day and then Bad News Bears is something that I absolutely love every time I watch it but I feel like it never 
is in my rotation, and it probably should be because yeah. it's 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 a lot of fun. I love it is a lot of fun, it. and I don't watch it nearly enough. What, what sequel is the one that people like? Or is there not a Bad News Bears? Oh, there's sequel? there's two. There's two, uh, right? Back to, Bad News Bears Breaking Training is one of them. Oh, one of them's got a really weird. One of them's like training. Bad News Bad News Bears Go to Tokyo or something yeah. like. There's at least two Bad News Bears sequels, and then there's a remake. Mm-hmm. But Moneyball, I didn't like the first time I saw it in the theater. Just went yeah. over my head. It was too cerebral. Mm-hmm. It was too kind of like mellow. I just didn't get it. And then over the years, I've since... Mm-hmm. I've been watching it a couple times a year, almost every year since 2011, and I really love that movie. Yeah. Like, it's it might be my favorite Brad Pitt performance, or at least my favorite Brad Pitt, like, movie star performance, you know? What do you feel about Mr. Baseball? Is that the Tom Selleck one? Yes. Where he goes in, to Japan? Japan? Fish out of water? I think I saw stuff. it in junior high or something. I haven't watched it oh, since. Oh, you haven't? Somebody, somebody important, like, wrote that or directed it, though, right? Was it Mr. Ooh. Baseball written by J.J. Abrams or something like oh, that? Oh, my God. Let me look this up. <laughs> 13% Rotten Tomatoes. I thought nice. it was a little more well-respected than that. <laughs> that is something else. I just remember Tom Selleck having a really nice left-handed swing. Well, part of the reason that The Natural, I think, is aged so well is because of what a good athlete Redford at least yeah. appears to be on screen, right? I don't mm-hmm. know if he actually was a good athlete in real life, but I know he was able to fake it very well, yes. and he modeled his swing after Ted Williams. Huh, that's interesting. As opposed to something like Summer Catch, which is infamous for being almost unwatchable I because just... of how bad Freddie Prince Oh, God. My girlfriend put it on one morning, like, uh, I don't know, a few months back, Mm -hmm. just to, you know, put something on hadn't seen. And I had never seen Summer Catch, which is crazy. It's a baseball movie. It's got Jessica Biel in it. And that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay. I yeah. could, have you seen it? I've never seen it. It is so abysmally bad. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and yes, you're right. The, the baseball scenes are... Tough to watch. Uh, very, very tough to watch. Uh, yeah. Gary Ross co-wrote the screenplay for there Mr. Go. Baseball. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, for better or for worse, the only real consensus opinion is Feel the Dreams. Well, are we giving short up. shrift to A League of Their Own? Yeah, we kind of are. That's not really a movie I revisit very often. Mm-hmm. I probably should. I was very weirded out as a kid by... Tom Hanks's overt alcoholism. Like, it, oh. it really confused me as a 10-year-old or whatever. Like, what is going on with the guy from Big? Why is he taking these... Why is he urinating for so long? I just... it All that stuff just confused the hell out of me. I don't know. It's kind of a melancholy film. Yeah. You know, it has a couple of really memorable moments and there's no crying in baseball, of course, is great and iconic. I don't know. I, it deserves a rewatch for the sure. The Bette Midler song, for sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Madonna song. Oh, no, the, uh, that's what I meant. The Madonna thinking, song. This used to be our playground. This used to- <laughs> Great, great stuff. All right, and that uh, wraps up We Like Baseball Movies. <laughs> Go Mariners. Yeah, so we're a week late, and a lot has been said. Many uh, many think pieces and many think pieces about think pieces <laughs> have been written about us, Jordan Peele's latest film. And I think we were both in similar boats when it came to Get Out. I really liked the movie. I wasn't, like, over the top in love with the movie. Mm-hmm. To make this short and sweet, I feel kind of the same way about us. Yeah. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think there's a lot to chew on there. But then again, when you really sit back and look at it, it's kind of a kind of a mess. But I had a really good time in the theater. Sort of hoping we might disagree about this a little bit more. Oh, but no, I, I feel pretty similar as you and feel similar as I did about Get Out, where I'm just like, wow, there's somebody who really knows how to make a movie. There's somebody who's very good at making a movie. Somebody who's technical skills are already fully formed very relatively early in his directorial career his thematic aspirations are impressive but he's trying so many things and he has so much to say that ultimately I start to lose track of what all the metaphors mean ultimately I think it's an inferior film to get out but I probably have thought about it more than get out to be perfectly honest and maybe that's just because there are so many 
there's so goddamn many ideas. There's so many you know? ideas, so many dangling threads, yeah. and it's just it's it's unfortunate that it's kind of a backhanded compliment, I suppose. Yeah, I I just wish there was, and maybe this is part of the point. It's like oh, it's just making you think about all these different things, but I just don't think in the end it all adds up. Agreed. Right, and I think it's as simple as that. I don't think the conceit that we learn later on, the sort of big reveal, makes all that much sense, and you're left to connect some dots that are their stretch. If you had to break it down, like if somebody said, "I'm never going to see this movie," tell me what the conceit is. Tell me what the the metaphor of this film is. What is the what does this represent? What do the people in the red suits represent? What do the people underground represent? Oh boy. I know it's a big question, yeah, yeah. but I think I, I, I feel think... it's the same way as I did about Pleasantville. The joke with Pleasantville was always like. Ooh, it's about racism. No, yeah. it's about freedom of speech. No, yeah. it's about sexual liberation. Yeah. Right? So which uh, one of those is this movie really about? I, th- I think on a very general level, it's about the socioeconomic upper class keeping down the lower class. Okay. And, and, and being and the lower class is forced to sort of leech off their tethered overlords. Until they revolt. Yes. It's not a pro-conservative movie, but it's like an, it's empathetic towards the conservative side of things things because ultimately that's what that's why they're wearing red right yeah the people who are coming from underground and i don't have been know this is ignored for decades yeah this i mean this is some touchy stuff but i do feel like watching get out and us you do feel get the sense that jordan peele has uh some guilt about things sure. about, about where he is in terms of wealth and fame and, and stuff and he has a family right he's married he has children he's got a kid or two with chelsea Preddy, the comedian he does okay yeah that's right he and chelsea Preddy aren't married but they've been in a relationship for a long time i think they might be married now but they probably go on they probably have a vacation home somewhere yeah. they probably get in the station wagon and go out someplace yeah then they probably own a very nice house on a lake or a body of water somewhere and so maybe I, he feels some guilt about that i i think he does and i, th- I think he his point is once you get to that level the underworld people are gone to you if change is going to come and change is going to be better for those people they have to i guess revolt but that, again there are so many other things you could read into this movie. Did, do you have a general theory uh i mean i just was simplifying it by just looking at that last image and thinking about red states you know a bunch of people dressed in red holding hands saying this is, i to me i read it as a, not an indictment of the election but a reflection on the most recent election so so which is maybe a simplification yeah, so so the movie is that night is election night. Right? I'll buy that, yeah. All right, I, uh, I, I kind of like that. And I also appreciate the fact that, A, he didn't feel obligated to go back to the race, you know, like he nailed the race thing so much the first yeah. time out. It would have been very easy to just default to that. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the fact that he just has a black family as the leads, and yet their skin color has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's neither here nor there, which is good. Some of his metaphors are a little blunter than others. At one yeah. point, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, doppelganger uses the word Americans which has been discussed a lot that yeah that, that was the one that stuck out to me and I kept like that has to be the most meaningful that it's has very to, deliberate yeah. it has to be deliberate right so yeah. what does that mean I think you're this election night thing I think we just solved it has <laughs> that been talked about I, yeah. I tried to read a bunch of op-eds and I didn't I didn't come across the election night stuff and when we talked to everyone after seeing the movie the other night that didn't come up either but oh really yeah. so in other words it's like being, talking about the election is just too on the nose it's just too simplistic it has to be more about so socioeconomic divides yeah it doesn't have anything to do with party i just couldn't get past the fact that they're very deliberately dressed in red yeah i think that know? makes a lot of sense the hands across america yeah the hands across america thing is amazing yeah it just makes you think of uh, beer fest 
You ever see that? <laughs> yeah. There's a running Hands Across America joke. Yeah, it's a very strange thing to hang. It's the very first prologue of the movie yeah. is the Hands Across America commercial, which is amazing. L- let me put it this way. Like, watching the film and then dr- immediately afterwards, I was just like, okay, maybe I'm just not necessarily a Jordan Peele guy. Like, maybe it's just not for me. Maybe this is the kind of stuff that I'm just going to kind of roll my eyes mm-hmm. about. In the week or so since, I've thought about it, talked about it, listened to a lot of podcasts about it. And the more I just sort of mull over it, the more impressed I am with it. Yeah. The more it's given me to sort of ruminate on. Sure. More than anything else, it's just like this guy's technical instincts are razor sharp. Yes. You know, like he's already doing impressive technical things that are being compared to Hitchcock, Spielberg, and mm-hmm. Sh- Shyamalan in his second film, which is a pretty big deal considering where he comes from. It's like watching a Husky game with my dad the other day and the, the trailer came on. He's like, isn't that guy a comedian? Like, what? What? How, why is he making horror movies? I thought, yeah. that, I thought he was like a funny guy. Does he do comedy? And like, well, and I was trying not to be too highfalutin or pretentious about this, but I was like, an argument could be made that comedy and horror are actually pretty closely related in the fact that they're both basically the two greatest vehicles for satire, right? Sure. And Jordan Peele is not a comedian. He's a satirist. He's a social well, satirist. And it's all, well, and comedy and horror both rely on misdirection and yeah. surprise sure. and, and, and laying the track, right? Like he does a lot of that stuff thematically and visually throughout. He, he, he teases images that he comes back to later. And he's, he's great at iconography. Yeah. You know, he really knows how to embed strong, memorable images. Yeah. Like you could spend all day thinking about what the scissors mean. Yeah. But the fact that the scissors are so memorable and so iconographic yeah that's a strength that's a storytelling strength in and of itself i guarantee like there's some pressure or desire to you know pump this out quickly after get out absolutely right? yeah um, i mean i have to imagine they were probably shooting this shortly after he won his oscar if not yeah. before i i just wish he would have taken maybe another six months with right. with the script a little to try more to... time in the oven can we go ahead and spoil the ending and talk about it i, I feel like we need to because <laughs> i need to ask you spoiler alert <laughs> not a spoiler adverse podcast you should know this by now we actually like spoilers we feel that if spoiling a film ruins the film for you then that's an indictment of the film itself yeah but you're a listener you already know all this stuff <laughs> did it come as a surprise to you that Lupita Nyong'o is actually her doppelganger to me it's it's not something I necessarily saw coming but it seems so inevitable when it did. It was like, oh yes, of course. This is how it, I mean, you know, based on the opening sequence of the film, this is the only way it can go, right? I, it did take me a, a little off guard, I guess, but like I said, it, it made sense and I wasn't like, I wasn't, oh, crazy. I have heard that people who have rewatched the film, there is a lot to pick up on okay. knowing that truth. Just small things about the way she reacts um, instead of sheer horror, it's a little more like knowledgeable and sure. understanding what's going on. So that makes sense, and and obviously like the the way she acted after coming out as a child to the Hall of Mirrors, like it it, it, it all tracks, right? Yeah. I guess my question is, what are we to glean? What's, that's the, a, what's yeah, the point? Exactly. Of it all? It, that that whole reveal is so separate, unless it's not, right? <laughs> We can talk ourselves. Well, again, he's he's put he's he's actually he's in a really good position as a filmmaker because he basically no matter which way you read this, no matter which direction you come at it, he kind of comes across as brilliant. (laughs) Like you're like he's so deep. There's so many so many different ways to read it, or is he just sloppy? And he he himself seemingly has done a good job of not explaining it, right? Yeah, which I think is the right. It's the right way to go. Like he's he's not even hinting at it. He's being kind of coy, but just like letting the audiences figure it out for themselves. I mean, when I first. When that was first revealed at the end to me, I rolled my eyes a little bit and I was just like, okay, that's a that's pretty clever the way that you managed to achieve that. But what are you trying to say? What does that mean? Like, yeah. uh, 
And then the more I thought about it, it was more I was like, okay, well, if you do follow this whole red state, blue state, you know, is that to say that like she comes from a conservative family and then eventually kind of moves over to the liberal side or yeah. vice versa? You know, like, are we talking about people sort of being brainwashed by their families? The fact that they have political leanings one way, but the rest of their family lean a different way. And the more I sort of started to dig into that, the more I liked it as yeah. opposed to just being vexed by it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's like it's just a secret in your background that you don't want to reveal right. to your lib friends. Exactly, right? sure. Like maybe she had, yeah, exactly. Like let's just say if we just want to sort of like explore this a little bit, she's actually, if we if we do want to sort of uh, live in this conservative versus liberal reading of the film's mm-hmm. underlying theme, yeah, maybe this is to say that she actually has conservative leanings and ultimately, even though she might tell her friends and family that she voted for Hillary, maybe she actually voted for Trump. No, if she, you wanna. she didn't vote for Trump. I don't know, she comes from underground, right? She, she does come from underground. She's a Morlock. She, she was forgotten. So uh, this movie came out and it was this surprise hit. It did like 70 million. It's over. So I don't think weekend, it was surprising. It. I didn't. I mean, it beat expectations. It beat Sorry, the prognostication. Surprise is not the right word. Yeah. I guess I guess impressive considering that it's a genre piece. It's rated R. Yeah. It's his second film. It, you know, it was modestly budgeted. We should have seen this coming or we I, some, some people did see this coming because it went over really, really well at South by Southwest. Yeah. Now, a film that was not as big of a deal at South by Southwest, Mm -hmm. which actually seems a lot more like a, you know, much more on-brand South by Southwest movie, which will not make nearly as much (laughs) as as us, and may sort of get shuffled into the obscurity of the cult canon at some point, is The Beach Bomb by Harmony Corinne. Matt, that was a professional segue. I didn't mean to just presume you had nothing more to talk about with us. If you need to circle back, please let me know. I have one more. I saw it in. I I have one more thing to say about us. Okay. And that is... And I decided to exploit it. As a longtime fan of, of Tim and Eric and a fan of Tim Heidecker, oh, sure. I was just happy to see him in this movie and happy to see how perfect he was for, for this role. When I saw he was in the movie, I was sort of surprised. Now, it all made sense once we saw it. Plus, it probably gives you that much more respect for Jordan Peele, knowing that he's obviously a fan. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And just one more thing on the box office. like for, To me, it makes a lot of sense because you already have this built-in audience for horror films. And especially... If it's a well-reviewed horror film, like there, there are rabid fans who are going to go see it. Right? We're living in the time of what do they call it? Elevated horror. Yes, that's the sure. that's the term we're using nowadays. Uh, re- reductive as it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you have that subset who are going to see this movie regardless if, if it hits a certain critical level or whatever. And then you have the people who know who Jordan Peele is, know what Get Out is, and just re- like are big movie fans who are super into it, like us. So you you have this dual audience that I think was clearly going to go to the theater to see it, right? Sure. Pretty, pretty. I mean, sophomore, I mean, Get Out was a crazy phenomenon, obviously. Yeah, so. $250 million hit on like a $5 million budget. So where does he go from here? I mean, he's obviously producing and Twilight Zone and yeah. yada yada. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. He can't, and more power to him. Don't we kind of wish that he leaves, takes a break from horror at this point? I, I don't know what he's going to, I mean, I could, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I could see him do besides, I don't think he's going to make like a straight up comedy. I don't think that's mm. going to happen. I kind of like Keanu. 
He didn't direct Keanu, but he wrote no, it. And I kind of liked it, actually. I like nobody, cared, nobody, nobody, cared nobody cares about Keanu, about Keanu yeah. but I liked it. I mean, I do wish that he would write something for his buddy. I mean, maybe he and Keegan-Michael Key want to keep th- their th- distance. I think they've been doing to keeping their distance. Yeah, like. but I, I, God, I would love to see them do something on screen at some yeah. point. It doesn't have to be comedic. It would be fun, you know, like it would be fun if they showed up in an action movie together at some point. Oh, they're both in Toy Story together this That's summer. That's true. Yeah, they're yeah. both, yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. Anyway. All right, Beach Bum. A less, uh, a more blunt segue this time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we already teased at the beginning. Uh, Matt and I, full disclosure, got out of the movie like an hour ago. Yep. Uh, saw it together here in Seattle, and uh, what a freaking delight. This is this is like the weird B-side to Spring Breakers. The, the metaphor I was working on for the entire film, and I was trying to figure <laughs> out the most eloquent way to uh, deliver it. If Spring Breakers is like an ecstasy and coke-fueled wild ride into the night that ends yeah. at a strip club or whatever, then this is kind of like the mellow pot and mimosa yeah. hangover Sunday morning afterwards, right? Yeah. It's just a mellow oh. hang by the pool after you've had your wild Spring Breakers orgy, right? And it's, it is really... Uh, yeah, it's it's vivid in, in like you feel you you've been there like you've had maybe you're in Mexico maybe you've had a little bit of maybe you're in Florida in Florida maybe you had some weed a couple beers you know you're about to get tacos music's playing <laughs> sun's out you're feeling like there's a certain body feeling that like I got watching this movie where I was like oh this is just warm and nice yeah. And, uh, even when it gets dark, it still get, finds a way to sort of like yeah. m- in a very mellow fashion because it's all from his point of view mm-hmm. and he's the, the most <laughs> mellow character who's ever been on screen <laughs> with the exception of maybe the dude. He's kind of like a, he's kind of like a second cousin maybe to the dude, Jeff Lebowski. Yeah, right? he's, he's a little more uh, able to go over to the dark side and do some evil stuff in this movie. And Fair. it wouldn't be a Harmony Korean movie without our main characters doing some questionable things and being right. debaucherous in uh, pretty disturbing ways occasionally but yeah. somebody gets somebody gets their foot bitten off by a shark mm-hmm. at one point somebody bashes a bottle over the head of a of a very helpless man yeah. in a in a rascal and then a they rascal. steal his money and yeah. yet it's kind of played for laughs i mean uh, he, he he wheels a lady in a wheelchair like into a into a post during his daughter's wedding uh, he raw dogs it with a complete stranger in the, uh, in in the kitchen joint. of a burger joint yeah. uh, while his daughter's getting married and yet the movie still finds a way to sort of like end on a heartwarming note it's very harmony corinne is a very interesting dude i would never presume to present myself as somebody who's like a super van who's familiar with his whole catalog i've seen gummo but probably not for 20 years yeah i never saw julian donkey boy or trash humpers no just the titles of those two movies (laughs) tend to i I tend to want to keep movies like that i I remember showing the trailer to trash humpers to a lot of people being like you got to see this shit right Mm -hmm. there was no way i was going to see that movie right like no freaking way same with julian donkey boy like i think i got through half of gummo before i was like no i don't want to deal with this anymore like his sort of delight in the living in the gutter yeah is a little disturbing in spring breakers and uh beach bum i guess is him growing up to more palatable fare i think that's the only way he was probably going to be able to keep making movies right right? in in his own way he's managed to find a more accessible version of examining detritus of humanity in some way right yeah he loves the idea of looking at burnouts and bums for lack of a better word but he wants to be able to examine them in such a way that we can be brought along for the ride and it seems to me knowing a little bit about trash humpers that that's where he realized he just lost everybody like (laughs) only the complete is only like the devotees right only the hardcore kareen heads oh god we're gonna be i mean trash humpers is literally about like vhs recordings of bums humping trash 
That's it. That's the yeah. It's on the nose. That's <laughs> so if that is your it's, bag, yeah. literally watch that movie. But the, the beauty of the title is in the simplicity, <laughs> I suppose. This seemingly is a role made for Matthew McConaughey, right? Like it's yeah. it's hard to really imagine many other people doing this. And I I would have to think that there was some ad libbing going on. There was some improvisation on set for this sure. thing because it is pretty ramshackle throughout right there's a very there's a pretty thin plot but it's mostly just sort of this picaresque going from event to event i like that word yeah to me it's just very much like an episodic sort of meandering tone poem yeah i mean honestly what i kept sort of thinking about besides spring breakers obviously was i kept kind of thinking about terrence malick sure you know like just one of his sort of like lesser more disposable to the wonder or um maybe night of cups is not a good example but what's the one with fassbender and ryan gosling Uh, song to song yeah yeah. you know literally just like following people as they're twirling Mm -hmm. and kind of holding hands and falling into bodies of water and Uh, What's fun about this, though, is that every time you move on to a new episode, you get to spend some quality time with a fun, you know, pinch hitter supporting player who comes in. Like Martin Lawrence steals the, you know, steals the film for 10 minutes. Captain Whack. Exactly. Great, great character. Great performance. Best Martin Lawrence we've seen since Bad Boys 2, for sure, which I suppose is not saying much. Zac Efron, of course, who is is already infamous for his panini beard. He comes in and just fucking, you know, puts puts up 20 points in 10 minutes or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely does. Um, and Snoop Dogg is basically the co-lead of this film. Yeah. And uh, he's terrific throughout as this sort of uh, buoy. For our protagonist, the beach bum, the old moon dog. I don't know. Do you think that Homery Corinne has something bigger to say about this movie? Because I was, I was wondering. like, th- There are things you could read into it about us living this late stage capitalism or mm. just how we let rich and famous people get away with whatever they want because they're rich and famous or the, uh, the, the there's a satire on the idea of the male artist you know the Hemingway type or whatever so what you're saying is that this movie is deeper and there's more ways to read it than us you're saying yes, this that's movie what is actually more going. thematically yeah, complex yeah, yeah, than yeah, us. Exactly. No, I, I like where you're going. I, I revisited Spring Breakers again over the weekend because I want to be ready for this conversation. And still holds up. Still a fucking stone cold masterpiece. And to me, that movie was always kind of about... Well, it's about a lot of things. But, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. obviously hedonism and also sort of like almost looking at the idea of aggressive, powerful femininity as almost being like a superpower. Yeah. That these women could basically go through this experience, not only come out on top when people are getting riddled with bullets all around them, literally and figuratively, (laughs) and then they could ride off into the sunset in a Lamborghini because they're basically superheroes. This obviously could be read in all the different ways that you were describing, but more than anything else, to me, it just seems like Harmony Corinne, who obviously lives and breathes this stuff and has spent a lot of time in Florida around these type of burnouts, him just saying like, maybe us dismissing this kind of lifestyle choice, maybe us dismissing this kind of ethos is a mistake on our part. Maybe there actually is something to the, you know, live fast, die young, better to burn out than fade away. Like maybe he's saying, you know, not necessarily an indictment of the rat race or whatever, the philosophy that is espoused by Moondog in the climax of this movie, in the de facto climax, starts to kind of make some sense, right? It's not just about like, let's party and, you know, let the chips fall where they Mm -hmm. may. It's more, he says this amazing thing. It's probably the best line in the movie and I'll never forget it. He says, I'm a anti-paranoic. I'm an 
opposite paranoid. He's basically saying, I'm paranoid that the world is out to make me happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm paranoid that the world is out to put me in a position yeah, he, where he, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah, it makes it clear that the world is out to make him happy and he's going to not go against that. Right. right. You could read it that way, but also there's this socioeconomic thing to it where the only way he's allowed to be this way is because he's he's got this rich wife and he's got wealthy on stuff that happened. But isn't he just, doesn't he seem just as happy when he's broke and literally like sleeping under yeah. bridges I guess when transients? He, especially when you take the, the ending of the film. Yeah. <laughs> That's where he literally sets a, you know. Which yeah. he, he sets a bunch of money on fire, which is inevitable. It's the only, it's kind of like the only way the movie can end. Yeah, you yeah. can see it coming a mile away and yet it's a, it's just a perfect denouement, right? And he's just boating away, cackling. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's a lot of Jack Sparrow to that in sure. some ways, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I appreciate. And it basically ends the exact same way as the third Pirates of the Caribbean film ends. Yeah, but I mean, but there are things where, you know, when he is down and out, he still bashes a guy in a rascal over the head for money, right? Right. So I... But it doesn't, there's something, it doesn't he, feel vindictive or evil, right? It kind of seems like, maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe saying I'm just he, defending he, him too much. Harmony Corinne's not giving this lifestyle like a scot-free look, right? Like Yes, it's not just a fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, like so much of Spring Break, you know, Spring Breakers is such an incredible film because it basically sets up this amazing fantasy and then it pulls the rug out yeah. from under you at really interesting times. Yeah. And when things are getting really, really good, then all of a sudden, you know, drive-bys start happening. Yeah. You know, these girls start getting shot in the leg, right? Yeah. So he's willing to let this exist in mm-hmm. a quote-unquote realistic universe. Yeah. But it's also people who just kind of like float ever so slightly above reality. Yes. Yeah. And there's this, this running thing where Moondog shows up to events or things where polite society, he'd be wearing something different or yeah. whatever. He keeps showing up late or being inappropriate and taking the mic when he should yes. and just like doing doing all these things that would be like tisk tisk by well, polite people but he, more than that it seems like he's right at the edge where yeah. you're like somebody should call the police yeah. <laughs> it's, but, and that actually does happen again. but then at the end everyone's like oh it's, oh, all, it's just old moon dog, dog yeah. you know yeah uh, the movie sort of does give him a little bit of an out I suppose <laughs> in that it's certainly not will I mean it's about him he's he's an incredible anti-hero I realize that I love films about these kinds of characters I love films about imperfect like borderline sociopathic or narcissistic <laughs> characters maybe that's saying maybe that's being a little too cathartic uh, about myself but I also love movies that take place in Florida I find Florida so incredibly cinematic and so complex and dark and weird you know yeah. Body Heat, Spring Breakers, yeah. Wild Things, sure. you know, Scarface. I mean, it's uh, like even Moonlight, Florida Project. Exactly. Right? a lot of stuff lately. That's yeah, I was, I was trying to come up with a good metaphor. I was just like, people always talk about Florida being, you know, America's wang or something, sure. right? Yeah. It's more like America's drain pipe. Yeah. It's kind of like where everything filters <laughs> down to before it, like, gets... Before it, you know, escapes into the cesspool or whatever, right? It's like, it's where everything has to flow into. But once you get to the end of the drain pipe, you can actually like look out and maybe see the world for what it really is. Yeah. It gives you a lot to think about. And then Key West especially is somewhere that I'm very interested in. It seems like a a place I would like to visit and hang out. And you, you get the feel for this guy's lifestyle. And despite how like dingy and dirty and sweaty and you know sort of hangover inducing it can be it's also it's very attractive 
Well, that's what's fun about Florida is Florida is like this really trashy, very dirty, very dangerous kind of kernel. Yeah. But it's sort of painted over with this veneer of sex and drugs and yeah. sunsets and boats and, yeah. and water. And you start to you start to drill down and it gets bad really quickly. Yeah. But if you just sort of like if you allow yourself to just kind of like float there at the surface, it's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's why so many yeah. people escape to Florida. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, Disney World is there, which yeah. is its own kind of veneer. <sighs> Miami is really kind of its own surreal netherworld. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why so many of these movies are so dingy and trashy mm-hmm. and surreal in their own mm-hmm. way. And the way that um, Corinne and his cinematographer, Benoit Debbie, mm-hmm. is a brilliant French cinematographer. He's Gaspar Noe's guy, right? Yeah. They paint everything with these just strong, bold neons, right? Yeah. And to me, when I think of Florida, that's what it looks like in my mind's eye. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think about it just being like these just strong, crazy, gaudy colors. Yeah. And I just love the way they render it. It's easy to use words like trash, escapism, or you know, guilty pleasures. Sure. But I think that Corinne, at least in these last two movies, is kind of working at this level of prestige trash. Yeah. You know, there's like a real filmmaker at work there. And oh, it's for not sure. just about hedonism and about uh, debauchery. Like there's his instincts, his visual instincts are completely honed. Well, well I mean, given... His, are his storytelling instincts honed? I guess your mileage may vary. Yeah. I mean, it's not for you if you need a real tight script with <laughs> Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, right? Yeah. Um, but given Trash Humpers and Gummo and everything preceding Spring Breakers, that was my biggest surprise about Spring Breakers, how beautifully shot and yeah. interesting it was yeah. to look at. And this movie is is no different. This, uh, you know, There might be a little, maybe fewer stylistic flourishes here than in Spring Breakers here and there. It's not quite as bombastic, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it, it's what you're talking about. It's more low-key. It's, it's the weed versus the cocaine of Spring Breakers, sure. sure. Uh, so yeah, there's a real filmmaker here. I, think, I love the term trash. Trash prestige. I would like to see more of that. Who else is working in trash prestige these days? I don't know, but it's certainly something we should dedicate a podcast to at some point because it's a you know because it's not like you know I'd, I'd look at something like. Fast Five as being kind of like a guilty pleasure. I wouldn't necessarily call it trash prestige. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. I don't think a Fast Five is a bad movie. I think there's some incredibly sophisticated things that somebody like Justin Lin is doing. But I think that's distinct from this. Whereas I feel like this is a real filmmaker who has a real vision, who is working with real actors. Yeah. But there's something that's so there's something that's so naughty about it all yeah. that I can understand why people dismiss it. And it's very difficult to get people who haven't seen Spring Breakers to give it a chance. It really. You know? is. Just just based on the poster, based on the trailer, based on the subject matter based on the images and the girls and the bikinis mm-hmm. and Franco with his teeth. Yeah. It's hard to get people to come around. Most people, when they see it, get it. Yeah. But it's hard to get people to give it a chance. It's filmed like the naturalism of the way it's filmed is uh, really sets it apart from other things that I think are set in, in, in this world. I want uh, Moondog's Rolodex of women who'll just come over and stand around topless <laughs> with him. He's or got, give him a massage. Yeah, give him, they're, just all, they're all over. Yeah. Uh, but even those scenes where the people are around, like it doesn't, it, it lives in this hyper real sur- surreality thing that is yeah. just, it's just intoxicating the whole way through. Yeah. And yet there's still death you know, like there's oh, still yeah. some tragic deaths and things can get bad and things can get sort of real, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And yet it still manages to sort of keep this. Again, that's that's sort of why I come back to this very, you know, subjective first person yeah. tone that he's going for, which I think he nails. And McConaughey, obviously, at the risk of using a cliche, like someone who was born to play this part or not being able to imagine anybody else in this part. It's like it's, it's kind of like his whole career true. has been leading. You know, yeah. it's kind of like 
from Wooderson to yeah. Moondog is just a <laughs> perfect, you know, movie star trajectory. Yeah, I mean, there are some sad things going on, but you do just feel kind of stoned watching it. Yeah. So it never really... It's intoxicating. Gets, ...gets you there. Like, do you think he added that... There's a scene where a person dies. There's like a... The star, a stars born moment. Did you catch that? I wonder if he added that after the like sure. she's on the bed and then they cut back to, like she has died and then they cut back to him at the piano. Oh, interesting. With, with her, yeah. It seemed like the exact same beats as sure. like I don't know. It, it felt like a weird. Uh, I mean, it seems like they would have been cutting this movie concurrent with <laughs> yeah. that film being <laughs> like, a phenomenon. It, yeah, I don't know. I, I I loved it. I'm gonna recommend it to a lot of people. Like I said, if you need need story, this is not it for you. But this is just uh, there's worse ways to spend 93 minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's just. It's a short ride, but it's it's quite a ride, and it, it always keeps surprising, and it's a whole lot of fun. It's our kind of movie. Our kind of movie. This has been We Like Movies. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye.